Hey, yo, what's going on, fam? Thank you for locking in again. This is Clarity with CK Podcast. And on today's episode, I have a fellow marketer. His name is Michael Wazinski. He's the author of The Rule of 26. Thank you so much for being on the show, Michael. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce your book and basically what you did before? So my name is Michael Wazinski. Most people call me Buzz. I have been in business now for 17 years. I own a marketing firm called Buzzworthy Integrated Marketing here in the United States. And um, recently wrote a book called The Rule of 26, which simplifies digital marketing strategy for service-centric businesses. I wrote it to help business owners and marketers for businesses that are service-centric because nine times out of 10, I hear that you know service-based businesses don't get a lot of business from their website, which means that they are giving up a lot of business to their competitors who are on step with their digital marketing. So I started my business right after I was got out of the Air Force. I flew a plane called the AWACS for 10 years which was fun. Got to go around 11 countries over 10 years. Good times. I grew up in California. I was born in England. I got in marketing kind of by happenstance through getting jobs as a kid and finding out what I was good at. So sales and marketing since I was in my teens. So I've been doing it for about 30 years now. That's awesome, man. I mean, marketing is such a an interesting field, let's say, because it's in everything. It's in everything that we do personally as well. It's not just as a business, but you know, we brand ourselves, we sell ourselves on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's one of those fields that literally could apply to every human being on earth because we're a walking brand as ourselves and we're also, you know, representing brands that we're wearing. What kind of advice would you give someone who's looking to dive a little bit further into marketing and probably build a career in that in that field? So marketing is an interesting profession. It's been around since the dawn of time and it'll be around until the end of time. And at 18 after high school, so I went to college when I was in my 30s. And my first degree that I went towards was marketing. I owned a media and marketing company and I felt like getting a degree in marketing would help, you know, legitimize that. But unfortunately, they don't teach you marketing in college. College is a very expensive way of getting your education in marketing. Instead, I would say that we need to look at more like certifications, internships, and experience. Right. So if you're going to look for working for a, a larger company, finding those internship opportunities are going to do you really good. In the meantime, going to places like digital marketing or I'm sorry, digitalmarketer.com where they have certification programs out there so that you can show employers what you are certified in. And even if you're starting your own business, say you want to get into web marketing, website marketing, or you're getting into Facebook marketing, or maybe it's search marketing, getting certifications through Facebook, Google, wherever those, uh, wherever you're going to put your focus at is great. And then also getting those digitalmarketer.com certifications or a certification program through say a junior college, or sometimes there's even four-year colleges that have certification programs as well. They're usually like six to eight weeks. They're not as expensive as going to full-blown college. So unless college is like your thing, like you've got a budget for it and you have a college you want to have a degree from and all that good stuff, I really feel that if you're in the job market, regardless if it's as a freelancer or an employee, you know, getting those certifications young to tell people, hey, listen, I know this stuff. This is not just something that I do as a hobby. 
it's one of those things that's currently changing. Not a lot of kids are now going to college, at least not as much as before. And right. like I said, now you have a lot of options out there that you know you could learn from and a lot of certifications where you could actually learn what you're going to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis as a marketer instead of just mm -hmm. learning you know, theories about marketing and the history of marketing and then no practice at all. So mm -hmm. it's great that you brought that up. Let's dive a little bit deeper into your book, uh, The Rule mm -hmm. of 26. What's it about? How did it come about? And what are the best things or the things to expect from it? So The Rule of 26 came out of the need to show business owners a simplified strategy to getting revenue from their websites. There's a lot of service-centric businesses out there. I was just on a call yesterday with a company that's been around a long time. And they've realized that their website that they haven't touched in 11 years is not producing any income. And now with COVID, the competition has pretty websites and they're getting their business. They're the, leeching the business away from this juggernaut in their market. And so it's taking them losing money to realize that. And I, so I wrote the book to shortcut that process and, and let business owners know there's a way that is easy to understand and follow and get revenue from your website. And so the rule of 26 lays out three simple steps to doubling the revenue coming from one's website. So the first is to increase your traffic by 26% and then increase your conversion rate by 26% and then increase the average value per client by 26%, which creates a compounded effect of 100% more business. And if that's not enough business for you, then you just do the whole thing again until you get to where you want to be. Why 26 though? So my goal was to give a measurable outcome and doubling, getting 200% or doubling your, your revenue is a nice number that people can chew on, right? You can chew on twice as much money, right? If I'm making 100, now I can make 200. If I'm making 200, I can make 400, right? If I'm not making any, I'm going to be increasing infinitively, but I'm getting something now. And once you have that base, you can then do the whole thing over again and double that. So it's a very easy process. And I just did the math and found that the KPIs that made the most sense, the most, and they're the most straightforward, and they have the most direct impact on revenue. So if your website is converting and you put 26% more traffic to it and it continues to convert at the same rate, you've increased your business from your website 26%. Then if you move to conversions and say, hey, you know what, maybe I can make my website convert better, 26% is not a lot, right? So 26%, so say you have a really low conversion rate, say 1% conversion rate, 26% better is only 1.26%, right? So each of the objectives are not that huge of a jump. They're not a big leap forward, but they have huge impacts on our income right away, right? And so when you add that third one in there where you're increasing the average value per client, you're not just getting that 70, what is that, 73%, 78%. You're getting that extra 22%, pushing you all the way up to doubling the revenue. And that is really exciting for people. So having that equation in there that you can easily obtain each of the objectives and get huge results made it very appetizing for me to write about. And that's what the book is about.
Where did that inspiration come from? It seems like you went through a process before you got here, right? <laughs> so the inspiration was looking at websites like HubSpot and Shopify and looking at the 38 to 68 KPIs they want you to track to identify where your successes are. And I'm like, there's nobody looking at 38 or even 68 KPIs on a regular basis. Business owners don't care about those KPIs. They, they're like, no, man, I, what, what is it going to do for my bottom line? So that's, that's what inspired me. I wanted to simplify what we need to look at in our marketing to really get a good idea of how we can move the revenue needle. Because if we don't move the revenue needles as marketers, we're just vanity plates for our businesses, right? Right. That's all we're doing. We're just making ourselves look good. But that doesn't do us any good if we're not making more money, right? So we're now become a cost versus an investment. So I wanted to show that we can simplify it down to three KPIs. It doesn't have to be hard. The book's only 150 pages long because it's more of an ideas book. Like, hey, these are things that you can do to get there. And from those, you're going to get more ideas, right? So everybody gets a little bit different uh, outcome from the book because your experience is different than my experience. But if I give you some seeds of ideas, you're gonna go off in tangents that maybe I wouldn't. So it's not an all-inclusive how-to book. It's more of like, this is where we can get started. These are the KPIs we're gonna track. Here are the objectives, and here are ways we can start getting those objectives done. Can you give me some of those seeds? So one of my stories that I have in the book is about website traffic and where you can get website traffic. So. A lot of times people think, well, I need to get ads or I need to do SEO or social media and all the other things. And I did something uh, early on in my entrepreneurial career. I had pens with my name on it. Business name, the business phone, the, my slogan, it was a three-sided pen. So those big tri-side pens, right? And so it's back then it said BuzzBiz Studios. And then the other said Be Seen, Be Heard. And instead of the phone number, we put the website on there. Because when somebody grabs a pen, so you say, I leave it with a waitress, right? And you- yeah, Nobody is gonna pick up a phone and call a phone number. No, right? no, no. <laughs> actually, here's here's an example of one. If I don't know if the listeners are watching or not, but there's there it is, BuzzBiz Studios. We actually had, there's the website, the old one. Mm-hmm. That's actually still our website. And we on this one, we had our phone number. All so right. the, that and that, right? You know how many phone calls we got from this pen? None. This right here, though, makes sense. (laughs) We would get it there. People are not going to call you and go, hey, what are you guys about? Right. But if I give you a BC and that's why we changed it to BC and be heard, because then it's like, okay, BuzzBiz up is and BuzzBiz Studios. And then when it's BuzzBiz Creative and Buzzworthy Integrated Marketing, those are the different iterations we've had of their name. You can go, oh, okay, well, that's BC and be heard and BuzzBiz Studios. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is probably something about market. Hmm, I'm going to go check them out. I'm not going to call them and and check them out. I'm going to go to their website and check them out. And so we literally had people coming to our website and they would bring their pen in. So this is a guerrilla marketing technique that affected our digital marketing. This website is now pointed to our media company. And we still get leads from that website on a regular basis, almost weekly, just from something as simple as making sure that we left pens with our website on it anywhere we went. That's pretty crazy. It's funny that you talk about guerrilla marketing as well. It's one of those things that I feel as a growth marketer at some point that it was 
taken completely out of the equation of marketers and of growth hackers. Some growth hackers do not consider guerrilla marketing as a technique, as a hack to grow Mm -hmm. business. When in reality, I mean, although everything is shifting toward a more digital world, people still go out and they go shopping and they drive their car and they, they go on buses and whatnot. And that's where usually people see those things and guerrilla marketing is something completely different there's a certain budget behind it usually mm-hmm. i remember working for clients with whom i came up with some ideas and they were very reluctant because they thought growth marketers only had digital solutions i feel like it's been overlooked since the beginning of social media so how that's do you exactly feel? why yeah that's why how when, do you feel social media social media made it easy originally organically you could make a post and if you get everybody to follow you 100% and you, you it was like you could get anywhere between 60 and 70% reach on your followers so if you had a thousand people following you you had 700 people seeing your message on a daily basis right you don't need to do any guerrilla marketing when you can do that like your guerrilla marketing was technically just getting likes that was it once you had likes you had money right that was more profitable than uh, email marketing, which has an average of about 21 to 25% open rates, right? So it was two to three times more profitable. You get two to three times more visibility with your potential clients or your existing clients, however your your followers are looking. But now that's set down to less than 5%, but that got replaced by Facebook ads. And Facebook ads got really good at being able to niche down to exactly who you wanted to talk to. And you could make messages specifically for them to almost like you're talking directly to them, like they knew you. And that made guerrilla marketing even less attractive because why would I spend the time finding ways out in the outside world when I can just put my ad in front of exactly who I want as many times as I want and or I can afford and I'm gonna get results from it. But recently with iOS 14 update, guess what? All that third-party data is gone. And now you can't do that. And now those ads are much more expensive. Right. So now you have marketers who started their careers 2007, 2010, 2012. They've never had to market. All they had to do is plug in whatever they were offering, make it look pretty enough, test a couple of hooks, and they were off to the races. Millionaires, some of them, right? But now they're going back and going, well, now what do I do? Well, now you got to go learn how to market. I've been thinking about this and a lot of marketers of my generation are exactly in the position you just described. They've never really had to market. They just had to make some content online and they went viral and it had its impact at some point. But then, like you said, once you take away all the data and then iOS 14, it messed everything up for (laughs) online marketers. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And, And the thing is this, It didn't mess me up at all because I've never relied on third-party data because we're organic, Mm -hmm. right? The one thing that that did not affect is inbound marketing. And inbound marketing is very guerrilla-esque. True. What are your favorite techniques of inbound marketing? Right. So I like search marketing because it is a platform that has proven to be seven times more profitable than organic social media marketing. So you have content marketing, you have authority marketing, reputation management, which is also reputation marketing. And then you have some social proofing out there, right? All of those things, you're you're talking about things that people care about and really showing your authority in the service that you bring to the community. And when we focus on our clients' needs, pains, and dreams, we will win every time. 
when we sit around and we talk about how cool we are and what we are all about, we're just talking at people at that point. And people want that authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I saw at some point that bubble, the third party data bubble had to go because it started getting really creepy. And people don't like creepy, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're going to run away from it. And they did. You know, the market spoke and Apple responded. And now that means that you're having that same issue with, well, Google didn't do it as much, but Google is under fire for it. There's a whole documentary about how creepy the creep line is being crossed by Google. And really what we did was we reset it. And you're going to see this, anybody's getting into the market now. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years and I've been, do, I've been doing marketing since before the internet was a marketing tool, right? Like I graduated high school in 1992. Wow. So that's probably why, where some of your listeners might've been born, yeah, right? Including myself. So actually, no, <laughs> but my, like, oh no, I guess it's 2021. So actually, no, past that, right? So those folks have been born into the internet, right? Where I was born before the internet. And even as I was coming of age, the internet wasn't really a thing. Like, I think I, I remember my first computer that I owned, I was in the Air Force, and I think I was probably 24 or 25 by the time I had my own computer, my own personal computer. So kids are born in 2000, shoot, anybody's born after 1996 probably had a computer in their home by the time they were 10. Like they don't know a life without it, right? And so as much as the world has changed since I've been on it, the marketing has stayed the same. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of people are trying to find the shortcuts because they think technology creates shortcuts. Uh, right now you have things like Jarvis.ai. You go to Jarvis.ai, it's not going to write anything for you. It's going to give you good ideas. It's going to jumpstart stuff. AI is much farther behind where people think it's going to be in the next 10 years. And even when you see that go, that pendulum swing all the way to where they can, what you're going to see is the pushback from that to where people want authentic human messages. And that's one thing computers won't be able to do in the end, which is emote emotion. Absolutely. Not in my lifetime, probably. Maybe in a <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah, years yeah. from now. They've got robots that are learning a lot of things, yeah. but there's one thing, they're only emulating what we teach them. Right. You, so and you can't teach human emotions, so. Right. Or any emotion. I mean, an animal has emotions, right? right. So, right. you know, the great engineer that has put us all here, wherever you feel that that comes from and, and your beliefs, regardless of those beliefs, there's an engineering there. So is it possible? Yes. Are we trying to become more godlike by doing that? Yes. But that's what we do as humans. <laughs> you know? So right. it's okay. But until we get there, nah. You're going to have that push. Uh, remember Blade Runner? For sure. Okay. In that movie, you actually see a little bit of that in there, right? Like, oh, you have a bot as your as your mate, or do you have a human as your mate, right? And that dilemma of, well, I like the bots better because I can blah, 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 versus I want a human because of blah, 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 right? Everybody's going to have those innate prejudices, right? Like, I don't want a Google speaker in my room listening to me telling me what I want, mm-hmm. right? Versus mm-hmm. somebody else going, yeah, I don't want to have to think about it. So Siri, give it to me, right? right. So even then, it's still going to be marketing. The books that were written back in the like 1920s, 1930s, the little blue book of advertising, 
Okay. okay. That's a good one. And it's going off of stuff that was like written back in the 1930s, the 1950s. And advertising and marketing are different things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where another thing that we've lost track of is the difference between the two. And it's um, sad because I feel like we talked earlier on about those certifications that you could get. And I see those certifications themselves mix the two when in reality they're quite different and you can't be equally as good at both and i feel like that's one of those things that we brush past quite easily in the marketing world well and the problem is is that we said digital marketing back in the day and i say the day like 10 years ago instead of digital advertiser versus a digital marketer because an advertiser takes money and creates visibility a marketer takes things other than money and creates visibility. Right. Right. Yep. They both feed sales. But now with digital marketing or digital advertising, what happened was that they were able to take the ads that just sold things. So people got lazy on the sales side. And so I think you're going to see this huge push of finding ways to get better salespeople into organizations. And that's how growth marketers were born. (laughs) There you go. Well, and I think that people need to realize that marketing, advertising, and sales all work in concert and Mm. none of them exist in a vacuum. Mm. All right. Can you elaborate a little bit on that idea? All right. Yeah. So marketing can create messages that advertising can then amplify, all of which feed into a sale, a salesperson's realm where it gets into sales who has to close the deal, right? So Hmm. when we, we created this digital marketing realm, we took digital ads and we said, okay, now we're going to create these sales funnels that'll do the sales job for us because people hate to be salespeople. Yeah. And people hate to be sold too. Right. And so we bypassed all of that. In reality, you can't, you, you need to have that. When you're talking like small ticket items, advertising can pretty much do what it needs to do, right? You have product placement in a store where you have impulse buying online, right? Right. So in those realms, maybe not so much, but in the service-based business, you have to talk to a human at some point to get a service, right? right? Mm-hmm. Most services are are produced by other humans. So whether the person at the front desk, because you came in on an offer, let's talk a chiropractor. Okay, that's a good one. All right. So a chiropractor goes out there, puts some, does some marketing, and says, "Hey, we're this is who we are." Dot 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 dot. Right. And we put that all on our website, and this is the pains that we uh, solve. And dot dot dot. Right. And then we have an advertiser comes out and says, "Hey, there's this chiropractor that can do your that can solve all your problems with your back pain." And so then that pushes the person over to the to the website, and the website's marketing message helps the visitor decide whether they're going to reach out to that chiropractor or not. At some point, they're either going to fill out a form or they're going to make a phone call. They make a phone call. Whoever's on the other side of that phone call is the salesperson. Doesn't matter what they say, they're the salesperson. First point of contact. Whoever gets the form and responds via email, text, message, whatever it is, or does a phone call is the salesperson. Right. How many salespeople do you think sit in a chiropractor's office as a full-time salesperson? None. They're usually right. just people who, who haven't been right. in the sales business ever yeah. and who hate right. sales, to be honest. <laughs> right. So I just got a new chiropractor. Okay. And guess who the salesman was 
when I went in. The actual person who sold me on the services. The guy himself? Yes, the chiropractor themselves. So now in this instance, I was referred to them. But then I went to their website. They, they had this incredible deal of $27 for the first <laughs> review, or not a review, but your first visit was $27, $27 and it included x-rays. So their marketing told me they're science-based chiropractors. Okay, Michael likes that. Like, I don't just need somebody who's going to poke in my, my spine and just start adjusting things without seeing what's going on behind the scenes, right? The marketing worked. <laughs> I got in there. Now, they didn't take my insurance, but the lady who was taking my payments to show me everything was well-trained in helping me with either a payment plan for non-insurance and gave me discounts because they weren't going to be using insurance because they know they can charge less for direct pay and not have to deal with, not wait for the money. So that doctor has, his people are trained as salespeople, right? Now, you take either of those away, you take the doctor away, or you take the, my, the, the woman that I see every day that I go into my chiropractor away, that yeah. system breaks. And that's what's happened with, I'm bringing this full circle here, that's what's happened with third party. Third party was able to take one of those pieces of the equation out of the process and allow people to do marketing and advertising rather than relying on the full ecosystem of marketing, advertising, and sales. Oh, that's amazing, man. It's pretty insane that we drifted from this essential piece of marketing. Besides the internet, how do you think that happened and why? I think it happened because people were willing to give up their information, right? Cookies mm-hmm. and all the other things, right? And you had a so juggernaut like Facebook who mm-hmm. were saying, wait a second, we can build a better mousetrap and people will pay us for it. I mean, that's how they make their money. That worked pretty well because now you can market to a huge chunk of people willing to pay for a service or for a product. Whereas like back in the day, you had to build a brand, you had to build a reputation, you had a lot of work behind it and you had to have salespeople. Problem is once people start realizing that their data is being traded as a commodity and they start pulling back, that's when problems begin. A lot of economists talked about the internet bubble. It didn't happen necessarily with iOS 14, but it could have. Oh, I beg to differ. There are businesses that went out of business because that's their, that was their whole model. Mm, True. And I mean, I talked to a guy who was selling, what was he selling? He was selling something silly. And they were making a bunch of money with it. It was a widget of some sort. And he and I talked to him about Facebook because I was trying to, you know, look at why can't I get past where I was going? And he's like, yeah, iOS 14 screwed everybody. He says, we, we lost 75% of our revenue because we could wow. not deliver the cost per click that we used to. You know, what used to cost 25 cents per click was now costing 50 cents per click. Well, when you start doing that, and that's per click, that's not per conversion. Yep. That's just per click. Yeah. So now you're saying, okay, well, if you're spending $2,000, now I got to spend $4,000. If I'm spending $4,000, it means I got to spend $8,000 to get the same. And if I'm talking about something that is less than a $20 widget. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the margin is usually very small already. So yeah. Yeah. Now for service-based businesses, the world is still very small. The most of the services that you and I use on a regular basis, the general public uses on a regular basis is not online. Okay. So mm-hmm. as a digital marketer, I don't have to be in front of you, right? 
So my world gets bigger as the internet becomes more prevalent in our lives, right? Because it's still right. growing. There's still lots of rural areas. The internet is not invaded, right? 100%, yeah. So we still have that. But now let's go to our B2Cs, doctors, dentists, chiropractors, the shoe repairman, your dry cleaner, your seamstress. I can go on and on. I mean, all of these services, you got to go and get them, right? Now, are you going to send your dry cleaning from LA to New York City? Nope. Okay. Are we going to, am I going to send it from Orange County to San Francisco County? I'm going right. to find somebody that's five blocks from me. So for I the dry mean, cleaner, the world is still very small. Yeah. And I think that, the, that we get caught up in what the big dogs do versus looking at what marketing can do for the company that I'm in. And if your company mm -hmm. is a dry cleaner, I'm looking at a two mile radius in the world. My chiropractor that I go to now is on the way to one of my offices. Right. If he was on the other side of the town, I would probably still be looking for a chiropractor. We look for the Got convenience. It. And that's where in service-based businesses, the world is still very small. And people need to realize that not everybody is going to need a thousand leads coming to their website. They might need 300 visitors to get the added six new clients a week. Maybe they need 1,200 visitors to do that. I don't know. But I mean, if you're working on getting two conversions every 100 people and you close half of those to get 10 more people, it's not that many visitors. Right. 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 And so when that's another thing with the rule 26 is that we're talking big gains for small businesses. Yep. A dentist can look at one new family is worth about $120,000 over a 10 to 15 year period. Right. That's why they're, they're willing to spend $35 on a click from Google, a click. Mm. Yeah. And in some markets, that can be up to $60 just for the click. Yep. Yeah, right. yeah. Some niches are extremely expensive. But like you said, it depends on the business you're in and the cart. 95 to, I don't know what the actual number is. I'm going to make a number up here, but I'm, I'm going to guess it's in the high 90 percentile of people are not going to be working for a major brand, period. There's just not that many major brands to work for. Right. Right. Sure. So the majority of us are going to be working for small to medium sized businesses. Yeah. And we easily get caught up in those major brands, like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. And we think that's where the world is headed. But, you know, I think we noticed this shift in maybe 2018, 2019, where people were going back to small businesses, for instance. Everyone was actually drifting from, you know, the Amazons. Buy and, local. And the, sorry. Yeah, exactly. And buy local. Exactly. And there were a Even lot American of Express. I mean, American Express. So if right now, if you got an American Express card, they give you bonus bonuses for spending money on their card with local businesses. Yeah. They went with it, right? Small business Monday or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that happens in November. That's an American Express thing. Like they know, they yeah, get yeah. it. Like America's coming back to buying American. Yep. And love them or hate them. Our last president in the United States wanted that, the country, yep. right? And that's and one of the things that I actually really liked about him. Unfortunately, the people who were making all the money from getting their goods really cheap overseas didn't like that. Right. Right. So you have to find a way to usurp the people who are getting the cheap stuff to us. And as Americans, we have to we have to learn how to live with less so that we can demand better. Because this sweater that I'm wearing today, if, if you if you can see me, is a, it's a cardigan, cardigan, I guess. I'm, I'm not much on brands, right? If it looks good, it looks good, but right. it's well-made, right? It might be a Brooks Brothers, 
right? So we know it's really well-made, okay? I only have probably three Brooks Brothers sweaters. I don't need 20. And I don't need to cycle through 20 new sweaters every season. I have a shirt that I bought from Bass. Remember Bass Company? Not really. Okay, anyway, they do kind of like a, a, it's an Eddie Bauer style, okay? okay? So it's a canvas styled shirt with corduroy collar and cuffs, okay? I bought that when I was 22 years old. I'm 48 years old now. So that is wow. now 26 years old. It is still hanging in my closet and I wear it. That's crazy. It was made that well. Hmm. America was built on high quality made products and attention to detail service. At the height of our society in America when it came to marketability was in the 1950s, where service, quality, and then price. Now it's just price. Right. And when you when you compete on price, you are on a race to the bottom because they're gonna always undercut your price. For real. But when you sell on quality, now the competition goes. How much quality do I need today? If we can identify the niche of quality that you're there. So are you fast and easy? Are you middle of the line guy? Just needs it to get the job done. Or do I want the best of the best? You pick one of those and you run with it. And if you can do that really well, then you will make as much money as you possibly can imagine because you're not trying to be everything to everybody. Because once we do that, we become nobody to everybody. Right, because right. we have no identity. Well right. Said. So when I go to McDonald's, what I'm looking for, fast and cheap. Right. I go to Red Robin for a burger. I'm gonna wait a little longer. I'm gonna pay more. I'm gonna get a juicy burger. And I'm gonna get the Parmesan fries. Right. I'm gonna get all of the fixings. Right. That's the difference. That's simple on every level on any service or product out there. See, it sounds so simple, but in practice, it's a whole different story. Well, that's because we go in with the wrong mindset, right? We go, we try to be, and I did it for a long time, try to be everything to everybody, right? So when we do that, we dilute ourselves, okay? And we do that because we're in the mindset of scarcity. There's not enough business if I go too narrow, right? And when you start business, you're grabbing on anything and everything that pays the bills. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, but then you, you start doing the business and you're like, oh, this business sucks. And this business is fun. And this, um, this business is not profitable. Like this type of business is just not profitable. And so in 2018, at the end of 2018, I actually broke up a multi-million dollar creative agency and reinvented my company into what it is now buzzworthy integrated marketing mm, for what because reason? it was not working for me i owned a job it wasn't profitable enough to justify the amount of effort that i had put into it the amount of money i was making for other people right and over the last three years i've really stuck to my guns and even in that transition i continue to get further and further down into the niche well i get down to like well i only work with dentists who do oral surgery Probably not, but I have a friend who does. You know, <laughs> he has really? a lifestyle business, right? And, and I get that. And there are firms mm. out there who do one little sliver and they go really deep with that one sliver versus wide. But I feel that a service-based business is a service-based business. And I've been doing it long enough to understand the idiosyncrasies between the industries, right? I personally like the financial industry, um, minus banks, right? And mortgage companies. 
Um, so financial planners, accountants, CPAs, and uh, fractional CFOs. I love working with those guys. Okay. okay. I like landscapers and construction, those types of things. So I have, I have my, my favorites. So when I do my marketing and my advertising, I focus there, but if I have somebody coming in, I had a guy who is in a moving service where you hired his drivers to drive your U-Haul for you. That was a challenge. I'm like, yeah, yeah let's do yeah. this. This is fun. And we can't right. butt with that account, but it was still a service, right? And we still use the fundamentals that I've been using for now 17 years to be successful with that, right? The tools will change, right? The microphone will look different, but in the end, the, the fundamentals mm. are, are con constant. Can you give some tips on some of those fundamentals that you use? I will tell you this. Seth Godin has a book called, this is marketing. Okay. He is well known for that book. If you have not read that book and you're a marketer or budding marketer, read that book. All right. That will give you the fundamentals of what it means to be a marketer. If you're a copywriter, then you need to get a copywriting book. There's a couple of them out there and I'm trying to remember the one that is like, that was actually written back in the 1930s that's still taught out there. But just go on Amazon and look for the top selling, how to be a great copywriter. But look for the older ones that were written back in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Because mm -hmm. um, that's where everybody's ripping them off now. So if you get somebody who's written a book about copywriting today, they're working off of what was been established for almost now, almost 90 years. Yeah. Right. That hasn't changed. How people think has not changed. Our innate thought process has not changed. Our attention span has shrunk down to less than a goldfish. <laughs> yeah. Right. But <laughs> the way we think is not. Okay. So get the books of the greats. You know, there's some guys out there that wrote great books in the 80s as well, as we were getting into the electronic age. Right. You can look at those. But I mean, the fundamentals come from the oldies but goodies. But Seth Godin is a modern marketer who has a really good grasp on the fundamentals of marketing itself. Let's talk a little bit about what you do, which is website marketing. Okay. So if you're working for a company and you're trying to in increase their leads, quality leads, we go back to painting the picture of the perfect and most profitable yep. type of client that they can get. If you can focus on that target market, you will, every lead coming in will be more qualified, more apt to buy the service and therefore be more profitable. If you try to be too general, you will attract bad business. Not all business is good business. Not all business is profitable. So we want to stay away from the, pro the unprofitable situations, the pitas, right? The pain in the asses. Um, that suck our energy and our profitability, right? Yep. And that PETA, it might be a PETA to you, but it might not be a PETA to the other person, the next service provider. Right. I mean, I got medical folks that talk about, we love Medicaid and Medicare. And others were like, oh, if I can mitigate Medicaid and Medicare as much as possible, I will do that, right? So one man's trash is another man's treasure type of right, thing. So, right, right, right. So look for those niches that your their competition is not going after. As a marketer yourself, and you're trying to realize a better way to market your website, then look at the same things from who you've done business with. Mm. So if you think that 
orthopedic surgeons are arrogant and they're hard to get a hold of and they don't they don't really value you then maybe or even though they've got a lot of money and they'll spend a lot on advertising if that's not enjoyable to you then don't go after them mm -hmm. period in a story find somebody else that makes that kind of money but then we'll listen to you that will respect what you have to offer them that values your input because if they don't value your input you're going to be miserable anyway and then the last thing I would I'd like to part with is that charge what you're worth. Right. Don't try to pay rent, just pay rent or cover your car your car payment or get gas money on your next deal. Be consistent on your pricing and charge what you're worth. You don't have to maximize it as a young person, but you definitely don't want to discount it so much that they won't respect you because you're too cheap. Hmm. How do you establish that? Well, you can take a look at what other people are, are offering in your industry and see what their experience is. I mean, that's really how we all do it. In the United States, is just a matter of like, what is the, the going rate, right? But people who are trying to do a service like a social media marketing service for $200 a month and they're getting 20 posts and all that other stuff, what are you really doing? Either you're working for $5 an hour or you're giving them crap. You're rushing through, right? right? So figure out what your worth per hour. And if you're the one doing the work, then charge that per hour. You can still package it. You can sit there and go, it takes me an average of X hours to get 20 posts that are of good quality with good research and good hashtags and, and good graphics, dot, dot, dot. I can, that on average will, will take me this many hours times what I'm worth per hour is what I charge. Hmm. If you don't compromise from that, then you're going to get people who are, value you as much as you value yourself. Hmm. Anybody who says no, then they're not. Now, if you are if you go to 20 people who seem like a good fit and none of them say yes, well, you might have to take a look at what you think you're worth, right? There is a top. There, you can go past that, right? For but sure. if you look at what the average is and you put yourself either above or below that average, you're going to find yourself in that realm. You're either looking for the people who are looking for a bargain or you're going to squeeze every living cent of energy out of you for the basement bargain price that you offered, or you're going to have people who are going to listen to you, appreciate you, look at what you have provided for them and look at the numbers that you deliver, because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for the investment, the return on investment. And if you can show a turn on investment, if you give me a dollar and I can give you 25 cents back every time you give me a dollar, you're going to give me as many dollars as you possibly can give me. 100%. Because you know, it's going to come back for sure. 25% more. Yeah. Right. 100%. doesn't have to be an ROA, an ROAS of 12, right? Mm -hmm. Just 25 cents. Give me, just give me a quarterback, right? right? So give me a buck and a quarterback. And every time you do that, I'll give you more money. Hmm. How well, do you measure that? If you're doing mm -hmm. digital marketing, everything's running through a website at some point, mm -hmm. right? So you go, you use your Google analytics and you measure the metrics. You measure the KPIs. That was one of the reasons I wrote the book. There's only three KPIs. Traffic right. conversions. That's the that, Google gives you those real easy. Yeah. 10 minutes. I can have that set up right now. Lifetime value per client. That's where the consultant comes in, mm -hmm. right? Cause everybody, every business is different and there are things that you have to do rather than just increasing your prices. It might be increasing the retention rate. If it's not the retention rate, maybe it's the add-ons that you're able to expand your service around so that they're spending more. They're paying the same for the service that they came in for, but they're buying more services. Mm. My average value just went up. That's it. All right, man. Well, this has been great, man. Thank you so much for answering all these questions, for all your tips. It's been a true pleasure having you on and picking your brain on some very practical stuff, actually. It wasn't just 
theory. It wasn't just college stuff. It was real life stuff. So thank you so much for all your insights. No worries. Well, thanks for having me, TK. And I hope the audience got something out of it. If you want to know more about the Rule of 26, go to, to ruleof26.com. And if you'd like to learn more about what I do, you can go to buzzworthy.biz, which is B-U-Z-Z-W-O-R-T-H-Y dot B-I-Z. There you have it, folks. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, peace.